the Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Lee Chambers, who has been on an extraordinary personal journey. Lee's initial background was in corporate finance and e-commerce, but in 2014, recently married with an 18-month-year-old son and another child on the way, Lee became seriously ill with an autoimmune disease and lost his ability to walk. Through 11 months of extensive therapy, Lee learned to walk again and decided to take what he had learned from his experience to change careers and help other individuals. He studied environmental psychology and subsequently set up Essentialize, a workplace wellness company. Lee has worked both in the private and public sectors as well as with elite sportsmen. His mission is to understand how we, as humans, can optimize our bodies and our minds. He has also written a book called How to Conquer Everything, which was published this month. Lee has an inspiring story to tell and naturally has some great wisdom to impart on determination, resilience and adaptability, as well as total well-being, all topics we love to talk about at Evolve. In today's podcast, Lee reveals a moment of clarity and inspiration he experienced during his long stay in hospital. I decided that I was going to do everything in my power to get back on my feet and that's where the ownership and the proactivity kicked in again and I was lying there in my hospital bed like I'm going to attack this disease as much as it's attacking me I'm going to use all this suffering and I'm going to become more provides a great perspective on the value of personal growth I mean from an entrepreneurial point of view you have to continue to grow personally and professionally while you grow a business so that you don't get that identity mismatch of feeling like a small person with a massive business. And discusses his novel approach to coaching. I tell my clients, look, you're back doing science at school. Put that lab coat on and experiment with yourself. Expect to fail over and over again, just like that science experiment at school when you set fire to all the beakers. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now... Let's get on with the show. Hello, Lee. Welcome to the Evolved to Succeed podcast. Yeah, pleasure to be with you today, Warren. It's great to have you on a guest of the podcast. And, you know, the name of the podcast describes itself. It's the Evolved to Succeed podcast. And I was looking at your personal journey, Lee, and, you know, you left university, got a job in corporate world, started your own e-commerce and distribution business and was probably on track, probably a very determined uh, individual, but on track to live a life that many of us would lead. But life changed for you quite dramatically, didn't it, in 2014? Yeah, so I've been on that journey initially, going to university, having some struggles at university, to be honest, around my own mental health and defining, trying to define a pathway from adolescence to adulthood. But that challenge actually took me to a point where I was taken out of university by my parents, but then built myself back up, gained more awareness, started to delve into my, you know, emotional intelligence and understand myself and got myself back to university and graduated. 
And having had that kind of purposeful vision, I then went forward and thought, okay, so what do I really enjoy? What do I feel you know, enlightened when I do? And it became two clear aspects. Uh, firstly, algorithms, data, statistics. I love crunching numbers. I love playing with patterns. Uh, also, I really found a lot of joy in helping people. So I, I go into the corporate finance world, looking to help people with the financial well-being and looking to be able to, you know, crunch projections and make forecasts and generally speaking, have an, the enjoyment of doing two things that I really enjoy, yet don't tend to align in a lot of professions and are quite varied skill sets and quite wide apart. Uh, I mean, I graduated in 2007, so unfortunately it really wasn't the best time to go into the financial world. Uh, I had a training budget of £12,000 and a whole career path lined out in front of me. And then six months in, all of a sudden, I lost that training budget due to the economic crash and then was made redundant. So with my tail between my legs, going back home, I really had to, at that point, think, okay, so I'm going to struggle to get back into finance. The jobs are not available. There's hundreds of people with 20-year careers, fully qualified who were searching for the few jobs that there are, what am I going to do with myself? And at first I felt a bit like, mm, this isn't fair. But I picked myself back up and realized, you know what, Lee, you've been in that industry for six months. You're young, you're dynamic, you're adaptable. Thankfully, you've not got a family. You've not got a 20-year career and I'm not sure what else you can do. And you can move on and evolve. So I went into local government, started working in efficiency and change management there to get the funding to launch my first business. And all of a sudden that it took off in a lot of ways. I was, you know, six figure revenue in seven months. It doubled in revenue for the first three years. And it in so many ways took over my life while I continued to learn different things. I continued to really train myself professionally because I'd lost that training budget. I took that a little bit personally and thought, well, if the corporations are not going to train me, I'm going to train myself. And that took me on a little journey. That's an amazing mindset to have. Yeah. And I just, through that adversity of being, you know, chewed up and spat out, I'd had to each time take some ownership and responsibility. And that always seemed to progress me so much more than avoiding it and hoping that someone else would take action based on that. So I suppose it became a little bit of a mechanism for me to say, right, so, okay, something's happened that I can't change, but there are things that I can change and I can take the pen back and write my own future. But that requires me to, you know, step out and do things that I'm a little bit scared of, do things that you're not sure whether you can do until you tried. And by taking that approach, I ended up working in local government in a number of different jobs, seconding myself out in a lot of ways, searching still for what was going to make me feel like I was alive. I did. I was in auditing, I was in environmental services and still searching. There became a point where austerity hit at the council and I couldn't sit there on a council word while taking a significant amount of money out of the video game business and feel that that was morally right. So I started working for an employment charity, helping people who'd been made redundant just like I had, you know, building up the confidence helping them see what industry they'd go into with the skills and the values that they had, and then building them up towards interviews so they could sell themselves. And that was the first taste I had of a coaching journey. And I really felt fulfilled. I really enjoyed that process. And then I had a few months working in elite sports at the very pinnacle of performance and got to see the experimentation, 
you know, the amount of money and resources spent and just how marginal gains works. Incremental improvement is everything, but also felt a little bit disenchanted that so much effort was put into the top level. But then the people below who were also incredibly talented didn't get that same attention. And for me, I was very much a lot of difference could be made at a lower level if the same resources were put in. And then all of a sudden, as you alluded to, in 2014, you know, I've got the life. I've just got married, had my son. I'm cruising around the Caribbean, holidays to Florida, driving a Range Rover. Like, you know, societally, everyone's like, you know what, Lee, you've made it. Like, there's nothing else. You're just going to live this comfortable life. And I, I suddenly became unwell over the course of a week, lost the ability to walk, my immune system started attacking my joints and suddenly I couldn't do anything for myself. Couldn't feed myself, couldn't go to the toilet, couldn't wash myself. And I had wow. to really lie back and start to process a significant change in my life. Yeah. I mean, young family on the way and all of those things that are happening, Lee, to you and and life, how do you react at the moment? You've clearly, through the, even that brief journey to that point in your life and in your career, realised self-discovery self-development self-responsibility were key things but in that moment where you can't do those things that you normally do you can't walk you can't feed yourself how did you realize what your next steps would be because all of us would normally turn to the medical profession as I'm sure you did but did you feel those sort of skills that you'd started to develop that self-resilience came to the fore quite quickly so like anything more and it, it took some time and I had had that practice of adversity and finding ways to grow through that suffering previously but this had happened over the course of a week I went from fully mobile fully independent to relying on everyone in my life for even the basic things so given the acuteness and how quickly it happened at first I was in absolute shock I didn't have a reference point to to really process what was going on. And because of that, I literally was just there in a hospital bed, like, what has just happened? I feel like mm. I've literally been hit with a baseball bat and I don't really know how to even alchemize this to a point where I can start to find a solution. And after that shot wore off, the pain set in. It was incredibly painful having your uh, immune system attack your own body. And I was on a lot of pain medication to really take the edge off that same kind of pain medication. I also sent you off to a little floaty planet somewhere yeah. far away from where you currently are. But as I started to come towards a place where I had a little bit more balance, I had all those thoughts that we do have as human beings. You know, the why me? I've looked after myself. I'm only 29. Why now? I've got a young family who are dependent on me. You know, I've, I've got so much I want to do. I've got so many places I want to see. Like This seems like really bad timing for something like this to happen. And through that, so I had those feelings of anger and frustration, but I knew I had to express those to the medical staff, to my family and friends who came to visit and just talk and just try to get it out there a little bit, not suppress it. Because if you suppress it, it does come back to get you in the future psychologically generally speaking if you can find a way to healthily express those emotions you do feel an awful lot better and after the anger and frustration I actually started to feel grief so I started to grieve for my mobility for my physicality as a young man and actually started to question myself am I going to get it back 
I don't even know what my projection and my, you know, plan is going forward. The doctors are still testing to try and find out why it's happened. And at the moment, I don't feel like I have any answers, but I feel like I've lost a part of me. And I, again, had to just process that. And during that period, I got moved up onto a longer term ward. And I was with three old gentlemen on that ward. And, you know, they were speaking to me on a daily basis saying, you know what, Lee, you know, we're, we're in our 80s now. We're coming towards the end. You know, we have regrets, but you're so young. You've still got so much there in you. You know, we can see that you've got sparkle in your eyes. We can see that you've got, you know, a lot to give. So don't be, don't even consider giving up because this for you is just the start of your journey. And that was powerful. But also in that ward, I look, was looking out across the fields. I was next to a window looking over the moors across to the town where I was born. I'd walked across those fields a lot of times. It started to occur to me that not being grateful for walking until I suddenly lost it. And, you know, when the crisis hit, I started to actually realize, wait a minute, all these things, all these opportunities I've had in my life, you know, I've never been hungry, never been homeless, never suffered environmental disaster, but I've had free education. I'm getting free healthcare now. You know, I've had freedom to set up a business, work in a number of different industries. And I just started to dawn on me, like, I have so much. Why should I feel sorry for the one little thing that's happened to me? And through that, I made that decision. I decided that I was going to do everything in my power to get back on my feet. And that's where the ownership and the proactivity kicked in again. And I was lying there in my hospital bed. Like, I'm going to attack this disease as much as it's attacking me. I'm going to use all this suffering and I'm going to become more. And I don't know if I'm going to get back on my feet, but what I do know is I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I go into rehab, I go into physio and I stay consistent. I'll give it my all. I'll track my progress. And so something really powerful, realizing that I had my children, both my son at 18 months old, looking at me with his big eyes like, daddy, why can't you play? And my daughter who was on her way and was born when I went into intensive physio and having other people to do something for, I was determined I was going to be walking by the time my daughter was walking. I was determined I was going to play with them in the garden like I had done before I became unwell. And that really fueled me through that process of recovery into walking rehab. Yeah, I was in pain. Yeah, I was stiff. Yeah, it didn't feel great most mornings, but I had that fire inside me. I decided this is who I'm becoming, someone who's back on his feet playing with his children. Didn't matter how I felt. The feelings would come from completing the actions that aligned with the person who I was telling myself rather than doing what I felt like, which at the time was generally, I don't feel like I want to do all these things because it bloody hurts and it's time consuming and I'm struggling. But instead I flipped that focus and thought, don't do what you feel, do what you want to become you'll then feel so much more authentic with yourself. Your subconscious will know that you're not lying, pretending that you're doing stuff, but you're not. And more importantly, you'll get through and build resilience because you're being consistent and you've anchored into a really powerful why. And that'll shape your behaviors and shape your identity moving forward. Wow. I mean, it's just an amazing, I'm going to say story, but it's not a story, an experience to hear that you gone through to find as you talk about right in the end day your why but it's that passion and purpose that you found wasn't it that changed your life by the sound of it it was the passion 
to live life to the full and to find the purpose to recover to enable you to do that. Would you agree with that, Lee? Yeah, so what it did is it ignited inside of me those kind of latent latent feelings of potential and those feelings of really I'd gone on that journey thinking that I was making the most of what I had. But what I realized is I, I, I was being shaped by society's wins. I was having and living the entrepreneurial life of comfort. But truth be told, that that's never been me. I've always been one to push the boundaries. I've always been one to be disruptive and continually curious. And for some reason, as I managed to amass, you know, a financial cushion, started to lose that edge of me and started to, you know, ultimately fade away from making an impact. And on reflection, when I was lying there in that hospital bed, it started to dawn on me that actually I might have this business and I might have worked in a lot of different industries and feel like I've achieved, but I don't feel particularly happy about it. And I started to think, you know, I I could be seriously unwell. My immune system doesn't stop attacking my body. It's going to, it could put me in a place where, I, you know, I suffer terminally. And would I be happy with the legacy that I've left? I looked at my legacy and thought, the footprint is nothing. I've created a business, but I've not changed anyone's life. And I've not helped anyone. I've not really supported anyone. And if anything... Because people told me I struggled to set up a business as a young black man with an attitude problem and generally wasn't the most conversive or the most, you know, cooperative person that I'd struggle. And that had caused me to be quite tunnel visioned in my own desire to prove people wrong, to show people that I could. And, you know, becoming unwell suddenly made me take those blinkers off and realize there's a whole world out there. And, you know, if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to approach things differently and really dig deep again inside yourself to find what value can you bring to the world? Because all of us have a gift inside of us. All of us have a skill set that can make a difference. And through that, I realized, yeah, the video game business, it's given me an awful lot. It's given me the finance to qualify in a lot of different health fields. It's given me the finance now to recover without having to worry about the money that my family has while I'm stuck in a hospital bed unwell. And what it did give me is, you know, a quality of life that has allowed me to have the foundations to do what I do today. And when I came through that, it took me 11 months to learn to walk again properly. I had a setback after six months around my vertebrae fusing together, but I went back into physio. And because I'd been tracking my progress, even though I had some hiccups, I had the resilience to see and the understanding and the mindset to know that I'd still come a long way from where I started. And that caused me to, you know, really have that consistency through the process. So after 11 months, I walk a mile and aided, you know, sweating by a lamppost, almost in tears. But I tell myself, if I can do this, what else can I do? I'm not going to set any more boundaries and limits on, you know, myself. I'm always going to be realistic but I'm always going to step outside of what I think I can do and really test the water. So from that, I decided I wasn't going to grow the video game business anymore. I was going to keep it stable and I was going to spend as much time with my children as I could before they start school, knowing that I can design my life that way now. I don't have to ask for permission to do that. And I actually want to spend an awful lot of time with my children because I really cherish it. 
having been through some challenging times already. But what that also allowed me to do was continue to educate myself and continue to start to build the foundations of a business that did align to my values, that did make an impact in the world, and actually became an expression for me authentically as a human being, trying to go out there and to support others. And to do that while continuing to build, navigate, and understand myself. Yeah, I'm. It's a couple of things that you've said there, Lee, that just would pick up on is that, and I think the first is that reference to having the financial success, that financial stability, the ranger over the trappings, and I think many of us that have been in business for some time and are honest realize that if we're not careful, we do what here, and I describe it, Lee, as a valley of despair is that we start out with a focus, a passion, a belief in what we want to do. And that's what ignites us. That's what gets us going. That's what breeds the success. But with it then comes the financial success and stability that many of us crave and need and desire from, you know, from our backgrounds and to that we can provide for our families. But at some point, if you're not careful, and it really sounds like you were in this place, you know, before the illness, is that that switch becomes you forget why you started and what your journey was and what your personal beliefs were. And the focus becomes the money. And if the focus becomes purely the money, you can end up in this place of despair. Now, for you, the light and the moment of realization and regeneration, you know, was clearly (laughs) forced upon you. But I, I suppose I'd ask you the question, do you see that in some of the clients that you advise is that they've found themselves in a place by n- taking on purposeful action where they are in a place of despair? Yeah, so because business is such a complex beast and it's not it's not an exact science, what so often happens is many entrepreneurs set off and have something that's aligned with the vision, aligned with the values, and really it becomes a mission to ultimately achieve a purpose. But as a business grows, you've got to continue to grow yourself. Otherwise, you end up with this strange mismatch where you've got this massive wagon of a business, but you really only ever learn to drive a car. And that can actually feel like quite a daunting place where all of a sudden the very values that you started from, they start to get a little bit blurred things start to almost start to merge away. So quite often, you know, my clients, they'll they'll have started a business with great intention, aligned with the values, and suddenly as the business has grown, it's almost become like a sail on a ship. And as the wind blows, the bigger the sail grows, the more it's blown around by the, the external winds and the influences. And it's very easy to get into that cycle of looking at, statistics and data and obviously i'm very much a person who you know really digs down deep into kpis and into financials because in many ways that's how my brain works and ultimately that becomes a measure of your progress because impact isn't always as easy to measure it's not always as tangible or as quantitative and you can easily end up in this place where you're chasing the figures you're chasing the numbers, the numericals, and things start to merge away in terms of the values because they're simply not as easy to see. And there's a lot of different aspects to that as well because as you grow as a team, 
you're bringing other people's values in. And it's important from an organizational perspective that even when you, you grow your team, you have those foundational values that the business is set up from and people find where to attach their values to that collective value to drive that forward. And it's very easy as your business grows for you to become less of a team and more of a group. And that, again, blurs those values and blurs that mission that you set off out on. And again, for a lot of people, that is a challenge. It's a very fine balancing act because if you're clear on where your values are, it's easier for them to not be diluted along the journey. But for so many of us, we we start from a place of value. And really, it's about trying to almost ensure that we crystallize that and keep it front of mind, even when suddenly millions of pounds come flooding in. Yeah, I think the big distraction, Lee, can be of sort of that period, and I think you describe it well as of sort of frantic success. Yeah. Because you can lose the purpose then. Like you say, the sales are up, the team is growing, you're not reflecting the true values, and this sort of frantic success kicks in. And it's that period of where everything is frantic that people can sometimes lose their way. The second part of what you were talking about that I'd really like to touch on is this this point around personal boundaries and personal limits. You know, you I suppose that you can talk in a way around continual education, continual challenge of yourself to learn new things, to develop as an individual. You can, you know, I suppose you'd call that the growth kind of mindset. But so many of us spend our lives with a very closed mind and not pushing our boundaries and our limits. And I wouldn't mind if you could just explain what your feelings are around taking somebody that perhaps has got that closed mindset and getting them to open their eyes to what their potential may be. Yeah, so so often it, it's it's a case of some people live quite slowly but still accrue a lot of understanding. A lot of people in business tend to live quite quickly. But you can live quickly and do an awful lot or live quickly and not do very much. So when we kind of look and start to kind of almost understand myself, I went from that very closed, like I've finished my degree. I'm going to go out into industry and I'm going to let that shape me. And that didn't happen. So I had to step out and start shaping and chiseling myself. And through that aspect, I realized that when you take ownership for that, all of a sudden, you pick what professional courses you're doing. You pay for them. Hell, you're going to invest and complete them because you've got skin in the game. Mm. And for people who so often, it's not our fault, really. Society kind of funnels you in this direction where you go for education, you find the answers, you get some ticks on the paper, and then you get a nice sheet of paper saying, welcome, you're through to the next stage of education or the next stage of your life. And because education doesn't really teach us to ask questions, we lose that curiosity. And I think that's probably one, one of my biggest strengths is I'm still like a seven-year-old. I ask <laughs> a lot of questions. I listen. I'm not afraid to occasionally, you know, put my foot in it a little bit. And really that puts me in a place where I, I, I want to continue to learn things i want to understand why things work why people are the way that they are why the world is you know moving so quickly 
And I suppose for a lot of people, it's rekindling that curiosity as an adult. They tell you not to be curious. They tell you not to play. They tell you to take the basics for granted because you've already learned them. But in so many ways, you can grow an awful lot through other people's feedback, through analysing when things have failed and looking, so why has it failed? Strip the emotion away and look at it objectively. Probably shouldn't do that again. But there's a bit of treasure right there in every failure that are lessons for the future that can be applied over and over again. And really, as we start to look and understand that in a very individualistic society, we are massively interconnected and if we want to continue to grow, I mean, from an entrepreneurial point of view, you have to continue to grow personally and professionally while you grow a business mm -hmm. so that you don't get that identity mismatch of feeling like a small person with a massive business. And sometimes you need to almost give it to people through different analogies to kind of help them understand that actually it's so important that we keep learning, not only from a professional perspective, but through our own experiences, through our life, through, you know, the industries that we work in, there's sometimes it just requires a bit of reflection because when I ask someone, who were you in 2010? Who are you today? People realize you can, you can become a completely different human being in 10 years through building and developing yourself. And really, you, if you start to believe you've made it and you stop, that's the success trap that so many people fall into. Oh, yeah, and I absolutely, and I can resonate with that. I'm, you know, in, in the book and, and in my own personal story, when I present on it, I, I talk about, you know, 2014, 10 years into Inspire as a business, the outside world saw a great success and I was desperately unhappy because I'd fallen into that trap of not continuing to grow as an individual, not looking after the self-care letting the business control me rather than me reflect into it my own personal values and that was the point that I reset and as a result evolved came about and all of those kind of things but the thing I actually learned at that point which I'd like to go on to discuss with you Lee is this area around self-care because I think so many people in business you know it is hard it is tough particularly in 2020 and if we're not careful we go on this journey and we develop and we might develop ourselves professionally, but we're not at heart looking after ourselves as we should to be able to perform at the right level. So you talk about functional life coaching, I think is the terminology you use, Lee. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that and your beliefs in the world of self-care? Yeah, so what functional life coaching is, it's almost a, a model approach as I've kind of analyzed different coaching, different coaching systems, different kind of ways to navigate a development pathway. Really what, what I've realized is that health plays a massive part. In fact, our physical, mental, emotional health is the, our biggest asset as a leader and not being able to harness that and not looking after that, it's almost counterproductive. So to help people kind of get and understand that process of functional life coaching, it really starts with an initial look at the goals, aims, and objectives that you have as an individual. And so often for business leaders, for entrepreneurs, they tend to be to build something 
of this size. They tend to be to acquire this, to have this level of status. And to have a goal is great because there's human beings on this planet who have no goals. And humans are target-driven as a species. We need something to aim for. Otherwise, we end up like archers firing arrows into the sky for no apparent reason. And having that target is really vital to give us something clear to aim at. But what we're not always the best at is digging a little bit deeper into why we've actually set that goal in the first place. So the first part of functional life coaching takes your aims and objectives and what you want for your life and then actually digs it into, okay, so that's what you want, but why do you want it? And start to dig deeper to find the underlying beliefs, the underlying situations and what's actually driving you every day to move in this direction to build this business, which so often is a vehicle to take you where you want to go as an individual. And by getting clear on that, we actually start to help them get more clear on why they want the things that they want. And now I know why. Is that the thing that I still want? Because for some people it is. They dig deep, realize that's why I want it. But the reason why I want it is something that's going to drive me to get there. For some people, it's not. And having that clarity around that situation helps people to make clearer, more precise and really more aligned goals with themselves. Now, with that vision and much more clarity on direction, feeling more purposeful and understanding and being more connected to that mission, I then take them through a health coaching module. So how I almost give them it visually is, right, you've got a much clearer vision of that path now. You can see it in front of you. But to get traction, move more quickly on that path, we need our attention to be on the journey and the energy to continue moving on that path because life's never easy. There's going to be plenty of adversity and plenty of shiny things floating around trying to take you off the path you've set. That's the way that society is designed. So we actually start to look at optimizing sleep, optimizing nutrition, looking at our movement and start to look at how making really small changes that actually fit into our lives not make trying to make massive changes and reinvent the wheel and doing things that are going to move so far away from our identity. We can't be consistent with them. Looking at small things that we can start to implement into those areas that ultimately will compound together over time to give us more energy, more vitality and better health so that we have more energy to push on and achieve what we need to achieve. And with that you know, newfound energy, we then move into the psychological module where we actually start to look at the reasons why you have the feelings, thoughts and beliefs that you have, starting to understand why we behave a certain way. And by starting to build that self-awareness, what we're ultimately doing is saying, right, you're at the start of the journey. You've got this energy. You've got this vision of where you're going, but you still have this heavy laden backpack full of beliefs from your childhood, full of limits and boundaries that society has been set upon you. Can we take some of that weight off so you're lighter for the journey you're about to set off on? And we dig deeper into understanding how to cultivate that resilience, how to build a mindset that's going to be effective for moving in the direction that you want and start to look at how we can embed and change habits, looking at the ones that might be holding you back, but also looking to implement ones that could really help fuel you forward. 
And then from there, we help set them out a really big vision and then actually take that big vision and break it down stage by stage back to today, giving them a set of actionable steps that they can then take moving forward, but also feeling like, you know, they're becoming something because it's really about this journey of who you want to become. And your business is so often the vehicle to help you get to the person you want to become. Yeah, it provides the resource to be able to do that and achieve that. And uh, I suppose I have that question for you then, Lee, is obviously you've been on your own journey. You came through that 11 months of recovery. You've gone and trained and you developed yourself and you've got the qualifications and the skills and continue to run the old business, but developed yourself so that you could be this person. So what does success mean for Lee? What's Lee looking to achieve now? So success for me has become, it, at one point, it was to prove people wrong. And that negative motivation, it fueled me quite far. It really took me on a journey, which ultimately put me in a place where I, I did prove those people wrong. But after that negative fuel run out, that's when I fell into the pitfalls of success and felt directionless, unmotivated, and generally struggled to find why why was I doing what I was doing. Now, my overarching goal and that big vision when I put myself through my own, own coaching methodology, that big vision is to positively impact the health and happiness of a million people before I pass away. And that overarching banner vision, a million people, that's massive. It is it's huge. <laughs> huge. But at the same time, I've decoupled that goal from my calendar. It's not like I expect that I'm going to be able to impact a million people by next year. And it's understanding that you can have that big vision, but if you attach yourself to that big vision, every single day you're going to be like, a million people, I can't do this. Can't. Yeah. But I'm then thinking, right, okay, so actually break that down. Break that down. If you are to gradually build something, and what, what, Lee, you're 35, You've probably got and hopefully got at least another 35 years to achieve that. So how many people do you need to impact this year? And suddenly those figures look a little bit more generous. And then you can also consider that for everyone that you work with, with a level of intensity, hopefully they will share some of their insights and other people around them will see and be influenced by the work that you do. And, you know, I do work and collaborate with a number of other organizations who have very similar aligned values that amplifies our messaging. I'm now doing more and more work with larger SMEs. So the work that I do impacts more people. And all of a sudden, these impossible figures, they seem like they're something that are achievable. And even if they're not, I wanted to push those limits and boundaries to something that feels, you know, scary <laughs> and <laughs> puts me out of that comfort zone yeah and gives you the energy and that passion oh, yeah. and that purpose which is amazingly one of the things that i suppose your industry can be tarnished with and and it's great to hear your methodology and your approach and it will get i'm sure our listeners thinking about their own lives and you know their purpose and their goals and all of that but you you're you've described in the last five minutes a very bespoke kind of offering Okay, a very personalized approach, treating the individual as an individual. But your your industry can be tarnished a little bit with gurus and coaches and methodologies and 
one size fits all kind of approaches. How do you counter that? And what's your feelings towards that approach? <laughs> wow, it's uh, it's a grown up podcast. You can say what you think. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a minefield out there, Warren. Sometimes I struggle to even articulate how I feel about it. So there's certain things that I have a real issue with. In the same way for business gurus, coaching gurus, what they're trying to sell you something based on this idea that it's simple. Well, if it was simple, people would do it already. And going on a business journey, it's not simple. It's not something you can just directly replicate from someone's course. And it's the same way for that journey. The journey is yours. Everyone is unique. Everyone is bio-individual. And really, my methodology is, is asking people to go out there and start asking themselves questions and experimenting to find and dig deep into who they are so they can go out there and express it. And there's an awful lot of stuff in the coaching space is like, you pay me lots of money and I can fix you. You know, I'll help you find your purpose. No coach helps people find the purpose. You help people to get some self-awareness and give them a few tools so they can go out there and gradually chisel their own purpose by doing things that they enjoy, doing things that they don't, and digging deeper into why they do and starting to understand themselves. And the truth is, from a coaching perspective, everyone already has the answers inside of themselves. I'm not fixing anyone. I'm not giving anyone the, you know, the tools and everything to just be able to go. And it requires a lot of effort from each individual that comes through it. But it's about helping them to really stalk their own fires. I mean, it's a world where there's motivational speakers who, you know, spiel off a lovely hour, get people excited, and then there's nothing after it. And everyone knows that you, something that you've done got you really excited. And then a week later, it was like, oh, okay, yeah. I'll probably remember one thing from it. And it's really that kind of journey, helping people to understand that gurus are not going to give you the answers. In fact, answers are the biggest problem in our society because, again, going back to the education, education has become all about finding the right answer. But Google will give you the answer to 95% of the problems you'll ever face. You don't need answers. <laughs> and gurus sell answers in a way that irks me beyond measure. What we actually need is to help people to ask better questions and to listen and understand and navigate the world. And by doing that, the questioning aspect is so important because people generally search for answers. But when they ask themselves questions, it's not something they've practiced. They don't teach you to ask good questions at school. but by helping people to ask better questions than themselves, they get better answers. <laughs> they get the answers that deep down are already there. And as we start to look to develop and help people understand that, it's questions and curiosity that's actually very powerful. And that in this world where we've almost over the past 50 years suddenly gone to this expert mentality, you know, the doctor will be able to fix us. These people, the government know best. Well, you know best for you. And that's the journey that you need to go on. You need to experiment with yourself and start to understand yourself. Because the biggest experiment you will ever undertake 
is you. And so many of us, we don't listen to ourselves, listen to our bodies. We just tune out. We let society tell us what's right. I mean, I tell my clients, look, you're back doing science at school. Put that lab coat on and experiment with yourself. Expect to fail over and over again, just like that science experiment at school when you set fire to all the beakers. And you know what? That is life. It's a big experiment. And if you're not experimenting, then what are you doing? You're not pushing any boundaries. You're not trying anything new. And it's almost helping people. And sometimes, literally from a coaching perspective, all they're looking for is some permission to just step out and be be themselves, be different. Wow. I And I absolutely agree with you, Lee. It's that journey of self-discovery, isn't it? Because that's the only way that you'll improve, is being inquisitive about yourself and finding all of these different techniques and things and morning routines or sleep optimization or breathing techniques, meditation, you know, physical exercise, CV versus weights, all of those things. We're all different, aren't we? And we've got to find that kind of suitcase of things that work for us. But we all need somebody to help us along the way. Because I think, you know, you've been on that journey alone. But a lot of us maybe aren't strong enough in our mindset to be determined and focused enough or to stay on the right path for long enough to go on that journey of self-discovery. And that's where I've personally found a life coach or somebody to check in with every now and again, you know, once a month, once a quarter, once a week when it's tough, you know, really does work. And I, I assume, you know, that is the journey you're taking people on, isn't it, Lee? Yeah. And I mean, if we, if we go back to the previous question very briefly, one of my major life mottos is there's too much advice, but not enough encouragement. And really, it's it's about, for me, I'm there to, you know, to give a little bit of guidance, but a lot of support, some accountability, because, you know, we all, we all be more accountable to someone else than we will to ourselves. Mm. It doesn't matter how strong your mindset is, how resilient you are you always be more accountable to someone else and just helping people to start to transfer the authority of ownership because it's easy in the world to just blame other things for all our situations that we face. And yet there are a lot of things that we can't control, but the things that we can control, if we're able to actually take them and move them forward and improve them, really powerful. And it's helping people to accept the things that they can't control because sometimes we actually spend a lot of time ruminating on those things. People play the same movie over and over again in the head, that movie of them, you know, telling themselves they're not good enough. They can't do it. You know, this is not for me. I can't improve. I can't get any better. I'm too old. I'm, that's not the kind of person I am. People like me don't do that kind of thing. And they just play it over and over. In all truth, they sat there, they got the remote in the hand, they can change that channel. But some people need to be able to see the remote. Some people need permission to press those buttons. And really, we've all got amazing things inside of us. And society doesn't necessarily bring that out. And we end up becoming almost sometimes just like librarians instead of being warriors of our own minds and bodies.
it really comes down on a foundational level to a few relatively simple things. So from a leadership perspective, what you really need to consider is as a leader, it's really about being yourself. There's the strategic elements of leadership, but you become the person who who is leading and people look to you for congruence of values. They look to you for communication. They look that what you say is what you do. You know, people will follow the messenger before they follow the message. So if you tell people they need to go to the work gym, but as a leader, you don't look like you go to the work gym. You're never seen in there. You don't really ever talk about it in a in a in a way that represents to you. It just it doesn't feel right. People feel like I'm being told. People don't really like being told. They like to be shown. And from a leadership perspective, being present is massive. When people see that you're present, they feel like they're being heard. They feel like they're appreciated because. Really, when we look at well-being, people think of the yoga sessions and the meditation classes and the fruit balls and the slides. But at a really base level, your employees, they don't truly expect all that. But what they really, really value is some appreciation for the role that they do. Little bits of positive feedback, even a handwritten card to say, you know, you've done well this month. These are the things that I think you've done well. They really like having some autonomy. So being given a task, but being allowed to almost express some of their own value and actually deliver it in their own way. The autonomy of role, but also autonomy to grow as a person. You're actually interested in them. You know, maybe find out a little bit more about the family. That gives you ways to question that then help you to look like you're actually, you know, you actually care about them as an individual human being. They start to feel like they belong and they're included. And that's a really powerful driver for performance at a very base level. When people feel like they're part of the team, they're part of the organization, it represents them. And they can attach themselves more strongly to that. Obviously, on top of that, you then start to build some of the frameworks that help employees take more authority for their own health behaviors by looking like you're investing in them and in their development and in their well-being because it's very much a two-way street. You as an employer are not 100% responsible for everyone's health behaviors for the whole lives every minute of every day, but you can almost bring the horse to the water by presenting the water and you know doing everything you can to encourage them to drink that water of health and well-being. And by doing that, they'll then perform higher. You'll have less conflict, less mistakes, less sickness, less, you know, staff turnover. And it's starting to look and realize that well-being, it sounds fluffy. In all truth, there's a lot of fluffiness out there. But if you start to look at it from a data-driven perspective, start to measure the provision that you've already got, find out how effective it is. Let's start to look to evolve that. Let's start to look at engagement. Is it engaging with the people? So often well-being engages with people who are already engaged in looking after themselves. They don't really need it. For them, it just becomes something that discounts from their everyday life and becomes more of a employee benefit on the side. Whereas the people who are least engaged in well-being are the people who need it the most. And more often than not, it's about 
okay, so what are their challenges? What are the industrial challenges? What do these teams generally face? You know, are they in a position where they're likely to be chronically stressed because of the type of work that they do? Are they going to have, you know, compassion fatigue because they're constantly looking after people and starting to build your well-being provision around the employees that you have? The people in the warehouse, the people in the office and the people out in field sales all have different well-being needs. They're starting to look at that and think, okay, if we design programs around what they perceive to be something that they can connect to, not only will they be more likely to engage, but they'll be more likely to take authority for their own health behaviors because the programs will feel like they're speaking to them. And also a little bit around it, try and keep it more simple. If you say to people, right, okay, so on your lunch today, you can go on lunch and learn about stress. You can join a yoga class. We've got Pilates downstairs. Or you can, you know, you can go on the walking meeting. Give people too many options, they won't make any decisions. Sometimes it needs to actually be more simple and, you know, more transparent and less overarching because people make tens of thousands of decisions every day. Make it easier for them. Make it, you know, make it rewarding. Make it obvious that it's there. Like there's so many great well-being things and, you know, half the office haven't heard about it. Yeah, so I've seen all sorts of challenges initially. I mean, you'll know this yourself, but especially some bigger organizations, your typical remote working acclimatization program, you're looking at a year to get the tech set up, to phase 
gradually remote working. Millions of employees did it in a week and they've acclimatized and adapted incredibly well. Um, and generally speaking, some people, it's just our domestic properties are generally speaking not designed to be worked from and they don't have those environmental design considerations impacted. So more often than not, especially in the first lockdown, when people are having to educate from home as well as work in a place where normally we sleep, we relax and we live, it was incredibly challenging. And communication is different. We have lots of technological communication channels we can use. For a lot of companies at first, they didn't put boundaries on those and didn't stipulate what channels to be used for. So, you know, people were getting messages on Slack, emails, WhatsApp groups, and everything was a bit everywhere. And when you don't have that clarity of process and you can't physically go and see someone, it makes collaboration quite challenging. And there's also the people who really, for the work environment, was actually more regenerative than the home environments because not everyone has a, you know, a settled and a lovely remote office to work from. And the the the, the problems that people have faced, the challenges that they've had, have been really diverse. But what's one thing that's really come forward is how a lot of people were saying, this is what I've been asking for for a long time. I've been incredibly productive being able to work on my own terms and design my life around remote working. But actually, I just miss people. And while it's been an employee benefit that's been asked for, you know, for so long, especially with millennials, it's become like the number one thing. Can we remote work? It started to give people an understanding of what their environmental need is. Mm. There are some people who work remotely really, really well. They've got things set up. They've got the partitions in life. They've got the boundaries. And they're able to work from home really effectively, be more productive, more creative. But for a lot of people, they just found themselves, yeah, I could probably do this for a day or two. But actually, I need to be in the office. And one thing that's really come to light now, which is only really just starting to be understood, is that in particular professions where there's quite a long lead time on projects, in the initial lockdown, a, a bunch of projects had been secured and workers were able to really focus in on those projects and, you know, make them move at an incredible speed, which for the companies looked like working from home was, you know, was a revolution. It was something new. But as the new works come in and the creative processes and the collaborative processes have begun, it's really, really difficult to do that when you're remote working in those industries. So they've actually really, really wanted to get people back into the office. And for me, as I kind of look at the wider term picture, I mean, communication is so important when you're working remotely. But as well as communication, it's the comprehension. So it goes back to under the understanding of what's being communicated as well. And from a typical perspective, you in an office, you would see if someone was having a bad day, if someone was getting flustered, if someone was struggling. You don't see that when you're working remotely. So, you know, the 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 email can seem really curt, but actually it's because that person's really struggling, but you can't see that. And that's been a challenge. A lot of managers and leaders have had to, you know, really evolve a deeper level of emotional intelligence when dealing with their employees and just understanding that they face their own challenges. But it's also on the flip side, 
brought a lot more humanity into business where people have, you know, the home life, the, the pets, the children on Zoom calls, seeing those sides that you don't tend to see. Because in some companies, you know, people left their human being at the door when they entered the workplace and went in as, you know, as, as their role rather than them as a human being. And that's connected people on a different level when they've needed that connection to actually see that, you know, my team, they're a, they're a bunch of human beings just like me, you know, flaws and all. And it's been really interesting to see how the different dynamics, the positive and the negatives have come together. And if we're looking at workplace futures, it's probably going to become a hybrid with, you know, being in the office when you need to, remote working at times. But maybe it's to start the evolution towards a four-day work week, maybe three days in the office and one day remote. Yeah. I, well, I, I think it's going to, the world is going to change, isn't it? And business leaders are in tune with that. And those that are thinking forward, you know, are thinking about how do we continue to do what's right for our people, treat our people as individuals, but still have the opportunity to get the benefits of human connection and collaboration. And I think that's the challenge that all businesses face is I think this whole period is recognized there could and it is a better way to do things. It's just finding that rhythm that works for you and your business and your people, isn't it? And it will be different for every single business. Yeah. Again, it comes down to almost the journey, the journey of an individual, the journey of a business and experimenting. When the status quo has been shaken up, I, I mean, unfortunately, two businesses that I know have really hit the rocks these past few weeks. And Speaking to the leaders there, you know, it's, it's, it's such a challenging time and, you know, you can be there for them and listen to them. But this is the time now for organizations to look and think, okay, so the status quo has been shaken, but in every crisis there's opportunity. And I like to almost allude to the fact that when the economic crash hit in 2008, which wiped out my career at the time that I'd imagined and visioned up, Companies like Uber and Airbnb were born thinking, right, there's traditional industries here that can be shaken up because the status quo, the bedrock, the foundations have moved, the gaps there to step into, ways to do things differently, to bring digitization to the fore. And now ultimately it is that time. If you can continue to evolve, be agile and be dynamic, start to look at some of the future challenges and start to think about how you can prevent those today, it's actually a really productive time to step out of the business and start to work a little bit on the business and start to really think how you can potentially build something for the future that still aligns to those values and still creates, you know, a business and employee journey and an experience that, you know, you'll be proud of. Fantastic. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for being a guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. If people want to find out more about you and essentialize your business where can they go the best places to go warren would be www.essentialize.co.uk or my consultancy website at leechambers.org and you'll find my services my blog and all my social media on those websites fantastically like i say thank you for being a guest and thank you for being so open about your own personal journey and your thoughts around development and coaching and life coaching and well-being I'm sure our listeners have taken a wealth of knowledge and thoughts and inspiration and ideas from this conversation.
what an amazing individual Lee is and what inspiration from Lee. Such wisdom and it's hard to believe he's still only a young man. Lee's attitude about transforming adversity into opportunity, his inherent desire to help others and bring value to the world are a great example from both an individual and a business perspective and provide some great talking points about your personal choices and the power you have over your own destiny. Lee said a lot of really great and inspirational things, but the one that really stood out for me and summed up his message was when he said, don't do what you feel, do what you want to become. There's a really powerful message there about finding and defining your why. If you want further access to insightful content, events, details of our webinars and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there as a supporter to get our weekly newsletter and details of special offers and future events. You can also learn more at evolvemembers.com about the peer groups and coaching services offered by Evolve. And if you live in the Pool and Bournemouth area, details of our lovely new co-working space in Ashley Cross in Bournemouth. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please do help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week.